0: Sunday mornings at either nine or ten thirty a.m. As I already told you, turn to First Samuel. Um, We'll get there here in just a second. I don't know how many of you realize this, but after after a one-year hiatus, uh, the NCAA tournament is back. All right, And and what that amounts to is if you're not a basketball fan, it doesn't mean a whole lot to you. Um, If you're not a college basketball fan, it doubly does not mean a whole lot to you. So this might be kind of foreign territory for you if that's not your world, but I know many of you will understand what I'm getting at in this. There are two teams that seemingly are always a part of the NCAA tournament who are not this year. One is... The Duke Blue Devils, they are the team of the devil. That's the reason that they're named that, okay? Um, And then you have the Kentucky Wildcats, all right? Now, if you're not a fan of either one of those teams, then you are so very much enjoying their absence, from the NCAA tournament this year. It is so wonderful to not have to look on TV and hear every single basketball announcer, no matter what game is being played, talking about the coach of Duke. Coach K. (sighs) Anyway, so, so I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you, I, I, I have enjoyed this immensely. And I don't even expect KU to do anything. I, I was surprised they even won one game, all right? But, but just for the fact that I don't have to watch Duke or Kentucky or even North Carolina anymore, it is wonderful. It is so, so wonderful. You know, there's an interesting thing about the NCAA tournament. A lot of people who do not follow basketball, college basketball in any way, follow this. It is a huge event, speaking of television ratings. And the reason for that is, for one thing, a lot of people bet on it. But the other thing about it, too, is, is the fact that it's a one-and-done tournament. You lose, and you're done. You're gone. And very rarely is the one crowned, the champion of it all, really beforehand picked out who's going to win. And they're rarely, honestly, the best team. And this is why this is so intriguing to so many people because when it comes to sports, we enjoy upsets. We do, it gets us excited. I mean, there isn't a person out there in the sporting world who doesn't enjoy a good underdog story unless that underdog is playing their team. Otherwise, they enjoy it. Even non-fans cheer for for the long shots when it comes to any type of sports. And let me tell you something, that is amazing and truth about our God. He is the God of long shots. He is all about the underdogs, all right? Now, as we look to Scripture today, we're going to look at two different stories. We're going to call it this, the tale of two, the tale of two kings. And these kings were not just any kings. They were the first two kings of Israel, Now, a guy that plays a huge role in all of this was a prophet. He wasn't a king. He was a prophet, and his name was Samuel. As a matter of fact, two of our Old Testament books are where his name, first and second, Samuel. Samuel was not just anyone. He was not just any prophet. He was a powerful prophet of God. As a matter of fact, when the nation of Israel began asking for a king, like, everybody else has got a king. How come we don't have a king? We'd like to have a king. Samuel wasn't happy about it. He's like, why do you want a king? When you have a king, don't you understand that that king is going to take your sons and throw him into his army? He's going to take of your crops and all those things. He's going to take the first fruits of it all. It's called taxes. Don't we love that? All right. And he said, that is what is going to happen. He said, God is your king and I am his messenger. What is wrong with that? And he was frustrated by this. But God told him, hey, it's all right. This is part of the plan he said let them have their king and he says As a matter of fact I am going to choose their king and you are the instrument that is going to help me get that king so here what we have to begin with is king number one and this king is king number one for a variety of reasons First of all, he's the first one we're talking about today. But more importantly, he is the first king of the nation of Israel. His name was Saul. Now, this guy, now don't not to be confused with the New Testament Saul. All right. This is Old Testament, King Saul, the son of Kish. Let me tell you something about King Saul. Just a little, just a little short um, description: body of a lion, heart of a (laughs) lemming. All right? That's who we have. In King Saul. The guy was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. He was the most handsome man in the kingdom. Because you know you got to be handsome to be king. Don't you know that? Alright. So he has all of these things going for him. And on top of it. He was as meek as they come. For one thing he was from the smallest tribe. Of the tribes of Israel. The tribe of Benjamin. Alright. Now. This Saul fella, the son of Kish, was looking for. I, I, this would take too long to set this up, so I've got to summarize his story for you just a little bit. He was looking for his dad's donkeys. I know that's, that's, what, that's what it was. I mean, his dad lost the donkeys and he sent Saul out to find them. That's a pretty big investment. You can't let that happen. So he's out looking for his dad's donkeys. Okay. He's in the midst of doing this, and he happens to run into a guy, as we've already said, named Samuel, who is the prophet of God. God makes it clear to Samuel when Samuel lays eyes on this tall fella. He says, this is the man I have chosen. You need to anoint him as the future king of Israel. So Samuel, following the bidding of the Lord, does that. He anoints with oil this Saul, and he does it in private, okay? He anoints him as the first king of Israel. Now, a little bit later, there would be made the public announcement. But before that, let me just tell you a little something about Samuel. Samuel was well-known, all right? Samuel was feared by many because he was a powerful prophet of the Lord. Saul knew who he was. And after he anointed him, he said, I mean, all Saul could think about was the donkeys. He's like, my dad sent me out to get the donkeys. And you don't understand, if my dad doesn't get his donkeys back, it's not going to be good for any of us, all right? Dad wants his donkeys. So Saul, our Samuel tells him, look, the donkeys are already found. Your dad's already got them back. Matter of fact, your dad's now concerned about you. And after anointing him as the king of Israel, Samuel proceeds to tell him detailed, detailed events that are going to take place in the next few days. After all, Samuel was a prophet. Now nobody really, this, this, this anointing of Saul took place in private. It was a few days later In the city of Mizpah, which would be close. Now, Jerusalem isn't a city yet, all right? But if it soon would be a city, well, about 50, 60 years later, it would be a city, okay? And Mizpah was only just a few miles away from it. So we're talking about smack dab in the middle of the promised land, okay? And in Mizpah, this is the place that... Samuel is going to announce to the kingdom he called the tribes together, called Israel together, and now when you get together and you're a part of Israel, man, it's it's just like going it's just like going to grandma's. Can everybody go to grandma's without having pot roast? I mean, seriously. I mean, when you go to grandma's and all the family comes, grandma's going to cook. That's just the way it is. It's the way it is in my family. It's the way it's always been, all right? So they get everybody together, and they're going to have a party. Um, Everybody brings their stuff with them. They're going to be there for a little while. Samuel is trying to find Saul so that he can bring him up on the stage, if you will, and announce to everyone Israel has their first king, and this is the guy. Can't find him. He's hiding, and guess where he's hiding? He's hiding in the, in the suitcases, all right? I mean, this is the first king of Israel, stands head and shoulders above everyone else. He, he is, he's got the body of a lion, the heart of a lemming. He, he's like, I don't want anything to do with this. I was just looking for my dad's donkeys. That's all I was doing. So God tells Samuel that Saul is hiding in the suitcases, so he sends for him, brings him reluctantly up in front of everyone, and lets every single person know this is God's chosen man for you, your first king. Let me tell you something about being anointed in the Old Testament by a prophet of God, that's pretty significant. And from the time that that anointing came upon Saul the spirit of god came upon him in a mighty way it was a short time later that Saul would save the day he doesn't really look like a king yet i mean they don't they don't have like a palace for a king they've never even had a king before all right but it was just a few Days later that Saul would save the people of Jabesh Gilead from the Ammonites. And I'll tell you what, this was a great start. The spirit of God was with him. And let me tell you something about King Saul. If you were going to take a word to describe the beginning of his kingship, it would be this. He was humble. And that's a great place to begin. He would reign 42 years as king, the very first king of Israel. The unfortunate thing is that it was not that long of later that things began to go downhill for King Saul through repeated foolish actions. He was 30 years old when he became king. So he was a young man, but he wasn't a baby. It was a time later that, that King Saul... The battle. There was a battle that was won. They were to offer sacrifices to God, and and Samuel, who was the one who was supposed to do that. Samuel was not just a prophet; he kind of fulfilled the role of priest. He was the one to offer sacrifices. He was late to the. He was late getting there, so Saul offered the sacrifices himself. It sounds weird to us. What's the problem with that? There is a problem with that. It was disobeying. God. It was a time after that, years later, that he made this stupid oath before God. They were fighting the Philistines. That's one thing about King David and King Saul. They were always fighting the Philistines, it seemed like. And he was battling the Philistines. And his son, Jonathan, who was an incredible, powerful warrior. And it was Jonathan, not King Saul, his dad, who would lead the nation of Israel to victory that day. And he made this foolish this foolish oath, said... Anybody who eats anything, anything at all, before this battle is over, they will die. Jonathan was busy starting the battle, overrunning the Philistines, a garrison of the Philistines. Nobody but him and his armor bearer. And Jonathan is in the midst of the battle. He is tired. He is worn down, as is the rest of Saul's army, because Jonathan got this started. Saul sees the people running, and he sends his army after the Philistines. But what had he told them? He said, nobody eats anything. That is not the most bright thing to tell your warriors. Yeah, go out there and fight as hard as you can. Don't eat anything while you're doing it. No protein bars for you, all right? Jonathan hadn't heard it. He comes as he's chasing the Philistines. He comes upon a place where the spoil was. And the spoil was in the form of this. It was honey all over the ground. We don't get a lot of details about it. Was this honey naturally there? Kind of looks like it was from the Philistine army. He sticks his staff into the honey, brings it up to his mouth, and eats it. His eyes brightened. He regained his strength. And man, he fought like a beast. But nobody else ate of it. King Saul finds out by the drawing of the lot that his son Jonathan had eaten of the honey. And he's ready to kill him. And the only thing that saved him was the people saying, you you cannot kill your son. He's the one who led us to victory today. And Jonathan looks at his dad and said, dad, what were you thinking? If if our whole army had eaten of that honey like it was sitting there right in front of you, a gift from God himself... If you hadn't put that stupid oath on their heads, we would have beaten the Philistines even worse. You just see foolish things taking place and the stupid oath almost cost Jonathan his life. It was the army, it was the people of Israel that told King Saul, "No, you cannot kill your son." After that, there was war with the Amalekites. This is what sunk the ship for good for King Saul. You see, God takes his oaths quite seriously. And when the nation of Israel left Egypt and they were headed to the promised land, the king of the Amalekites came out and fought and battled against them. You might remember that battle. It was the one where Moses was up on the hill above the battlefield and he had his arms up. And if his arms came down, the Amalekites were winning. If his arms went back up, Israel was winning. So he had to have people hold his arms up all day. So that Israel could win that battle. And God said when that day was over that he would wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. That time was coming. And then God, because God is a patient God, gave the Amalekites four centuries to change their ways. They were an evil people. Four centuries to change their ways and they did not. So God tells Saul, he says, go and wipe them out completely, leave nothing, no survivors, no spoil of war, nothing. And here's where it gets really serious for Saul. You can find out about this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 1 Samuel 15. The battle is over. Israel is victorious. Samuel shows up, once again, a little late. He shows up to offer sacrifices, to do that sort of thing, because he is the priest, he is the prophet, right? Right? He shows up and Saul comes out of the tent and says, Samuel, you're here. The victory is won. Isn't this great? It's wonderful. And guess what Samuel says? Ah, hey, king, I hear something. I hear sheep. I hear goats. I hear a lot of them. Kind of like I heard that sheep in your trailer the other day. They can be loud, can't they? Man, that thing was not happy. Whew. Anyway, so, Samuel shows up. He says, Saul, so what, what, what's this bleeding I hear? What, what, what's going on? Tell me the story. And, uh, oh, yeah, um, uh, we, we saved some of the best of the spoil of war to offer to God in sacrifice. That's what we did. That's what we did. And, and, and Samuel then says, because he is a prophet, God speaks to him. He says, well, what about that king? His name was Agag, by the way. That's a great name. That king you were supposed to kill. Why is he still alive? This is what Samuel has to say. Probably one of the more famous passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. We're going to begin in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15. Samuel speaking to Saul, he says, This has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, he's saying, What does the Lord want more, sacrifices or obedience? It says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is in the sin of divination. And insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king. I'm going to tell you something folks. From this point on in King Saul's life. Things were really, really went downhill. The Spirit of God left him. And years later, he and his sons would fall in battle. And King Saul died a paranoid, embittered old man. That's king number one. King number two. Samuel plays a big role in this one as well. Matter of fact, from that same chapter that you see, chapter 15, as that wraps up to a close and we start into chapter 16, you see something about Samuel. Samuel is not just someone going out there and speaking for the Lord. He is is invested in the people of Israel. He is invested in King Saul, and he mourned for days after God took his favor away from him. From Saul. You see, in the beginning, Samuel didn't think there should be a king. God alone should be the king. But that doesn't mean he didn't like Saul. He looked upon him as a son. He cared for him. And shortly after God speaking through Samuel tells Saul, the kingdom has been ripped from you. God tells Samuel something else. Go to Bethlehem that little bitty town in the middle of nowhere, go there because my next king is in that town. I tell you, Samuel didn't want to go for two reasons. He loved Saul. He was saddened by what happened, but he was also fearful of Saul. He knew what was coming and that Saul would become paranoid and dangerous. And he knew what would happen even to himself, this powerful prophet, if Saul found out that he had gone and anointed someone else as king. So Samuel reluctantly goes to the town of Bethlehem. The town of Bethlehem, they're a little uneasy about this themselves. When Samuel shows up, mm, sometimes it was good, sometimes it wasn't good. And when this, I'm telling you, Samuel was a powerful guy. And when he shows up, it catches everybody's attention. They wonder, what are you doing here? Do you come in peace? He says, yes, I come in peace. He asks, about this man named Jesse. He says, where can I find him? Because God said it would be of the sons of Jesse. that It was one of those sons that would be the next king. So Samuel goes to the home, to the household of Jesse. And you see here the superficial eye of Samuel. You see Jesse had seven sons, seven of them. And they begin, Jesse begins to parade these sons before Samuel. Samuel asking, show me your sons. And it's like, this has got to be the guy. This has got to be the guy. And God says, nope, 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 not him. Now turn over one chapter over to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel and take a look at this verse. Verse 7. You see Samuel was looking at Eliab and thought, oh, this, this, man, this is a good looking dude. He's got some shoulders on him. This must be the one. Yeah. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. But the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse brings up his seven sons. Samuel's like, nope, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, not him, him. is that seven? Not him, I think that was six. All right, and then then Samuel looks at Jesse, and says, okay, it's none of these guys. You got anybody else? (laughs) You got somebody somebody else out there? He said, well, yeah, my youngest, he's out watching the sheep, right? I, I need him to come here, and I can tell you, David's brothers, you can see this a little bit later in the story, they're, they're, they're looking down their nose a little bit at little David here, and, and if you, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit what, what the Bible says about David when, it first, when he first comes upon the scene, he's a cute little fella, he's ruddy, he's ruddy, handsome in appearance, kind of a rough, rough looking country boy, alright, just a cute, cute looking little guy, alright, that's about all we get. Except for what we see here in verse 7, and what we're going to see in later scripture, written many, 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 many years later. This cute little fella had the heart of a lion. And Samuel anoints him as the next king of Israel. What did I tell you about being anointed by a powerful prophet in the Old Testament it does a little something to you. And the Spirit of God came mightily upon David. Wouldn't it be that many years later that that little David would find himself standing before a giant whose name was Goliath. And David had no fear of this giant because he had already killed a bear and a lion with his hands. You ever watched Ghost in the Darkness? Oh man, that's a crazy good movie. I'm not telling you go watch it or anything but it is a pretty good movie. Anyway, and and you see you see this you see this this mighty hunter, you know, and then and, and he, he's talking about he's 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 the foreman there, come and, and he kills a lion and he's talking to one of the native guys and, and he says, Well, I killed my lion with one shot. And he asked this this native man of Northern Africa, he says, Well, I heard you killed the lion. How many shots did it take you? He said, I killed it with my hands. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, David was not afraid of Goliath. He had already, I mean, would you really fear a man nine feet tall if you'd already killed a lion and a bear with your hands? Yes, the Spirit of God was upon him. I'm telling you what, guys. This story of transition from King Saul to King David, there is irony everywhere in this historical story. A little bit about David. He would play the harp for King Saul. He killed, as we've already talked about, King Saul's, maybe Israel's greatest enemy in Goliath. He married King Saul's daughter. He became the best friend of King Saul's son, Jonathan. He became the captain of King Saul's army. And then he would become the sworn enemy of King Saul through no doing of his own. But King Saul would see him as an enemy and as his rival. And David would become the next and most famous Old Testament king of Israel. What's the difference between these two kings? What separated these two kings? First of all, let's look at some of the similarities. Both were chosen By God and anointed by God's prophet. All right? Both were chosen by God and anointed by God's prophet. Both were empowered by the Spirit of God. Both had humble roots. I mean, King Saul, he came from the tribe of Benjamin. David, he came from this little podunk town of Bethlehem. All right? Look, even look where they showed up. When King Saul showed up, he was looking for his dad's donkeys. When King David showed up, he was watching his dad's sheep. All right? Look at these similarities. Both gained the approval of the people through courage on the battlefield. Both of these men were warriors and powerful warriors. King Saul repeatedly disobeyed God. And you might begin to say, well, this must be where the difference has started. Oh, what about King David? He committed adultery and murdered one of his own valiant mighty men to cover it up. Both had family drama, intense family drama as a result of personal sin. So these two kings had a lot in common. King Saul tried to kill his own son in a fit of rage. King David nearly lost his life at the hands of his son Absalom. What's the difference between these two kings? King Saul was stripped of his kingdom. King David, his kingship, his line would endure. What is the difference between these two Guys, both of them were far from perfect. If you think King David was perfect, I'm sorry. Now for us, that doesn't mean a whole lot. He's not, we're not Jews. We're not Israelites. Let me tell you something about an Israelite. They hold David up here. But even the Israelites understand that King David and King Saul were far from perfect. But this is the difference. David alone retained his humble heart somewhere along the line King Saul lost his there's something we need to understand about repentance brothers and sisters because repentance until until the day that our Lord and Savior calls us home he comes into this world and destroys it and remakes it And the end of all things we see is the beginning of all things in reality. Until that day comes, repentance will always be a start, have a place in our stories. Repentance is simply change. Repentance is not feeling bad for when we screw up. That's guilt, that's sorrow. Repentance is Change. And let me tell you something, we see this in David. Repentance is always preceded by humility, by a humble heart. Why don't we leave, now now stick a finger there in 1 Samuel 16 because we will come back to it. I'm going to cheat, I've got a nice little bookmark right here, I'm going to leave there. But I'd like you now to turn over to Acts chapter 13. When we find ourselves in Acts 13, what we will see is Paul preaching a sermon of Jesus Christ to Jews. And he's telling them about things that they know oh so well because they knew their history. Turn to Acts chapter 13 beginning with verse 20. And this is what it says. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel... The prophet, okay? We've heard a little bit about this today. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, check this out. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my Heart who will do my will. What separated David from Saul? David had a heart like God's heart, a humble heart. Look at verse 23. From the descendants of this man, from David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Here's the thing about this story, a tale of two kings. It is truly a tale of three kings. Because of the line of David, there would come a king who was the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords we're going to be looking at this week in core 52 is God's kingdom there's something we have to understand as members of God's kingdom kingdom. if you've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ if you have laid your life down before Jesus figuratively at the foot of the cross literally what it looks like is being washed clean by faith by confession of him as Lord, by repentance, that's a big one, all right, and by baptism, being born again by and through the blood of Jesus Christ. If that describes your story, understand something. You're not just the citizen of a republic, the United States of America. First and foremost, you're citizens of a kingdom, the kingdom of God. Don't ever, ever Forget that. Our first allegiance always is to our king, not to our earthly government. Our king is Jesus Christ. You see, in this kingdom that we are a part of, what do we learn from David and Saul? Well, we don't learn how to be king. In this kingdom, the the place of king has already been taken, (laughs) all right? Taken by the king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. So if we're not kings in this kingdom, what can we learn from Saul and David? We'll turn one more time back to 1 Samuel chapter 16 because the lesson still rings true today. I'm going to read for you one more time verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at the height or at his appearance because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God still looks at the heart, brothers and sisters. That has not changed. I believe that scripture can show us if we have the heart that we are supposed to have. If we are men and women after God's own heart. This is is the test, the litmus test, if you will, of a humble heart, because that's what God desires from his people. Are you ready? And this is very practical. Question number one that I need to ask myself is this. Do I have time for people? Maybe that have time should be a little different because folks, none of us really have time. Do we? We're busy folks, aren't we? We make time. We do. And the question that I have to ask myself is this. Do I make time For people. Question number two. How do I respond when I'm called out? How do I respond when I'm called out? When King Saul was called out, he made excuses. When King David was called out, He repented. How do I respond when I'm called out? Am I humbled? Do I make excuses? Do I get defensive? Brothers and sisters, we mess up. It's part of our story in this this life. And, And we know it firsthand. We continue to mess up. After Jesus takes control of our life, we do. That's that human side of us. We mess up. Thank God that there are people courageous enough in my life to tell me when I've messed up. To call it out. How do I respond when they do so? Question number three. And this might be the most important question of the three. Does my failure push me away from the Lord or towards him? Does my failure push me away from the Lord or towards him? The kingdom of God, there is only one in this kingdom only one who is completely and totally worthy in this kingdom. There is only one who is completely and totally holy in this kingdom, and his name is Jesus. Here's the incredible thing about this kingdom. Jesus willingly shares his holiness with all who will accept it.